it doesn't matter how advanced the output is. It doesn't matter how perfect the output is. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. And I know that some educators might be like, well, I don't know, kind of matters depending on what you're teaching. But I think in the arts, as long as you're doing it, that means you're going to get somewhere. If you're not doing the work, then you will never arrive at a place that you want to go. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. And today we welcome Samantha Olshan, a professor and a colleague of mine at the University of Connecticut's Digital Media and Design Department. Samantha is an award-winning transmedia artist and educator who works across animation, art and design for films, brands and experiential media. As an artist and designer, Samantha investigates how storytelling, motion design and experimental narrative can be a service to underrepresented and underserved communities. As an educator, she combines collaborative, game-based and project-based learning in the classroom with digital media as a tool for learning. Samantha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Now, before we kind of get into the meat of the discussion, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your combined use of collaborative, game-based and project-based learning environment. That, That sounds really cool and interesting. In my classes, I primarily teach creativity, I teach design, and I teach uh, digital arts. And I find that through experimentation and play, we can open ourselves up to learning more. If I give my students a directive and I say, today we're learning this technique, they're only learning to the technique and they don't really know how to apply it after that technique is taught. So I've developed a way of using fun or play which I think a lot of art instructors do. It's all about experimentation and also gamification. So for example, I have a class called Narrative Workshop. And in Narrative Workshop, we we come in, this is like the ultimate class on uh, experimentation and failure because we come in with no idea of what we're going to do and we do a semester-long project. It's a creative project. It's called Narrative Workshop because it's about not only crafting your personal narrative, who you are as an artist or a maker or a designer, Uh, But it's also about crafting the narrative of the the project itself. So I would say that two thirds of my class will come in and not know what project they want to do. And it's all about identifying our our ideas and identifying where we take our ideas and whether they'll float once we, we send them out to sale. So in that class, we've come up with this way of identifying the work we want to make. And we do that through game based play. Uh, This is actually adapted from a fantastic book by Julia Cameron called The Artist Way. And we do something called Artist Dates. And I have the students use a hashtag. If anyone wants to follow or play at home, it's hashtag DMD3030. And each week they have to do one thing for themselves that has nothing to do with school or the assignment or class. And they have to do a creative artist date. And they can define what that means. So for example, my favorite artist state is to take myself to a museum and experience some piece of art, maybe that I've seen before in a new way. 
but they have to catalog it by taking a photograph and using the hashtag. So what's really interesting is that we've been taking a tally of all of these. So the person who goes on the most artist dates are only required to do one per week. Uh, the person who goes on the most artist dates and gets the most engagement ends up winning basically street cred or like a small post-it notepad, but they win a prize at the end of the semester. But really it's not about the prize. It's about this fun competition, this creative competition that we've set up. And what's really interesting is I've taught this class since 2014. And if you go look at the hashtag, we actually have students who've graduated who are still competing in DMD 3030. And our highest ranking student is Phil Abrams. So shout out to Phil Abrams, who graduated, I think, in 2016. So or 2017. So everyone is competing to beat his number. And um, we have uh, several students who are still participating. And I think that's a really fun, interesting and engaging way to not only take the pressure off of art history, I'm going to air quote art history, but really also how we engage in art within our community or creativity within our community. So for example, some people's artist states, some people are really into gaming. So they decide, you know, for a whole month, every day, I'm going to take five minutes to play this game and discover something new I never saw before. And they'll take a picture of it. Or we have some people who just go to local coffee shops and meet the owner or take a picture of something locally small business and say, I had a really good time eating tacos at the street cart and they'll hashtag and post the location. And then it's actually creating creative community involvement. So it's something that I love doing with a narrative workshop. I think the students have really benefited from it because once they're out of college, they now have this structure in place of the artist state to help get them out of I call it get out of their kind of rut or their studio. So often with creativity or with large scale projects, right? If we say, okay, you have to do a senior project next year. It has to be completely original, completely creative. There is this panic of, well, what am I going to make? And by doing the artist dates, we're dedicating time to just allowing ourselves to feel engagement or allowing ourselves to play. Maybe you're playing soccer for your artist state. They don't have to be about art. It's about what you find enjoyment in. If we can access our enjoyment, our likes, our creativity, and our passions and catalog them in a way that's fun, then we can say, okay, when it's time to work, what am I making work about? Well, maybe I'm making work about how much I love this community I'm in or, or, or how fun it is to play this sport or about stories from the people I met on my team or about I'm going to improve on this game that I played. So it's a way for us to kind of like a bank, right? We're banking these creative ideas that otherwise, without this allowed artist date time, we would otherwise not have this, you know, pool of creative ideas or engagement to pull from. So that's one way that we we do game-based, project-based, game-based kind of engagement and play in my classroom. So I love the fact that you referenced the artist way. It was It's actually the reason why I got into the field of creativity 25 years ago was because I read The Artist Way by Julia Cameron and fell in love with artist dates. I have been on many uh, artist date. Uh, so I love that you've brought that into your class. And there's just so many things I want to ask you, Samantha. First of all, when I meet designers, they often say that they are creative. So they are considered creatives, Right. 
And what Matt and I are really trying to advocate for is that everyone is creative. Everyone has the capacity to be creative. And one of the first things you mentioned was that you teach creativity, design, and art. So can you articulate for us what you mean by creativity within that context that's separate from design and art? That's my first question. That is a great question. And that is a question I feel like every artist and designer unpacks as they work for their entire life Mm -hmm. and maybe every creative person, but that reminds me of the Picasso quote, right? Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain one once we grow up. And I think that somewhere in our growth or education, we disconnect from that. So how we teach creativity for me is as simple as reconnecting with what inspired us when we were younger. Everyone is going to have a different inspiration point or access point. We have to teach how to allow ourselves to just experience, participate, and be present in whatever field, environment, or or moment we're in. I think creativity has a lot to do with response. Or I don't. I think as a designer, I often say like problem solving. I really do think creativity and problem solving go hand in hand, right? Or innovation and creativity go hand in hand. How I teach creativity, my approach to teaching creativity is I think through reconnecting the student to empathy and trust, right? They have to trust their ideas. I think so often I see, especially at the college level, my students will come in as I teach first years and I also teach seniors. And seeing that growth over four years is really fantastic because as first years they come in and I give them very vague creative briefs, right? They're most creative briefs or problems that you have to solve for a client or a project will have a vague or ambiguous target. So I think my prompts are vague and they have, they struggle with that. So part of what I teach is being comfortable with ambiguity and being comfortable working with unknown targets, you know, in in open houses or uh, people that I've known through life, they say, why do you really have to go to art school? Can't you just learn that on the internet? Can't you just, you know, draw? And the answer is yes, you could do that. But the difference between, I think, going to an, an arts school or a design school is that you get this safe space to practice this feedback loop where you get to practice failing, essentially, uh, having these ambiguous targets and not meeting the goal, and then redirecting, iterating, and moving on to the next problem or assignment or a creative uh, jumping off point. So I think that when you're teaching, especially, and this is one of the the things that I think is so important about an art or design education um, at the college level, when you're teaching creativity, it's so much more than just a technique. It's about trusting your instinct or learning how to understand the the problem, right? I'm air quoting problem in in my uh, studio right now. It's not always a problem, right? Things are not problems unless we define them as such, but the solution that you arrive at has to be solved with creativity, whether it's designing a light bulb, right? The famous quote that uh, Edison didn't fail. He just learned how not to design a light bulb 10,000 ways. I think that whatever number of times he tried, but I think that we have to learn how to trust our instinct and also practice perseverance, right? It's really easy to give up. And I think young creatives, I see this a lot. They go, well, I'm not good at this, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll just do what's easy. And that drives me crazy when my students go, well, I did this because it was easy. And I I never think that's the right place to access our creativity. 
I love the piece around trusting your ideas because I think it's very easy when something is ambiguous to sort of give up, as you mentioned, or just go the easy route and go with what's certain, but to really be able to, you know, in the creativity literature, it's often called tolerance of ambiguity or embracing ambiguity, but I like this comfort with ambiguity and to be able to make those iterations to create something that ultimately you're happy with. And I think the interesting piece to think about is how do we get children of even at an early age to start trusting their ideas and, you know, feeling confident in that creative um, idea that they have and that they'd like to pursue and when to know when to pursue it and how to pursue it and when to know when to let go. Now, you also mentioned that they have to do a project that is completely creative. So if you have them do a project that's completely creative, what does that look like? Well, you could argue that all projects, all outcomes are completely creative. It's about how we define or or add value to a physical object that's creative versus a solution or a process that's creative, right? So we could argue that regardless of what the project is, each outcome is creative. One of the things I know Matt and I talk about a lot is process. I think our colleagues also talk about this at, at, at DMD, but processes are incredibly creative regardless of the outcome. So that could be one method. Like if you're using design thinking steps, right? If you're using some sort of process in place, there will be creativity, not only in problem solving, collaboration, and iterative outcomes that arrive to a solution. But if say it's for a, I don't want to use the word traditional, but a traditional arts outcome or design outcome. Uh, if we are designing a logo or writing a short film, or we are building uh, an emerging media project, right? Like an interactive wall or um, an animation, uh, some sort of integrated AR, VR animation. We have to go through not only that creative process, but then there is the secondary creative outcome. So one of the things that I love about not only our curriculum, but the way that I kind of approach creativity in my classes is that I I adopt that iterative uh, process from design thinking. In arts, we don't call it design thinking in the same way we would in, say, design. In art, we just start to say, okay, well, what does this form look like? How does it move? What would it be? And we actually fail a lot, right? We don't know what this outcome will be. Uh, We don't know what, if I'm, if I'm, for example, I'm, I'm working on a series of digital collages and uh, motion media, kind of site-specific motion media text animations. I don't know what these things look like. All I have is an inkling of, of an idea. And that's very different than the design process. With the design process, I know there is a targeted outcome. I know there is a design, right? So if I'm teaching students how to design a logo, we use these processes and there's, you know, there's an iterative cycle that you know, feedback loop with the client, there is iteration in the design process. Now with an art project or an experimental uh, media project, we don't necessarily have the outcome. We might have the site, we might have uh, the intended, you know, viewing or audience, but we are just making it uh, for the same way that we would make food or um, garden, right? There is, there's a level of maybe interest, engagement, and joy in the making. There's something that we are trying to say and arrive at, or maybe even reveal a truth, right? We're trying to reveal a truth through making about the world or about our experiences, people or community. So that's a little different. We're designing or animating or, or, or making in that process. We don't really 
we don't really have a target. And I actually love that. Matt and I have talked about this before because I am, so as a designer, I don't mind showing my process because I know that's part of the game, right? And getting feedback on that process and having that, you know, clients say, okay, well, this is good, but that's not good. I don't really like that. This speaks to me. You know, let's make it pink. Let's make it blue, that kind of thing. Uh, that's easy, right? But when you're designing something or making something for artistic purposes with no outcome, really, not knowing what it will be, that is the most terrifying thing and brave thing that anyone can do. And I think sometimes we, um, you know, Matt, you and I have talked about this. I think when I was learning, my instructors said, don't show that stuff. Just show me the finished product, right? We call it hiding our brush strokes. We don't really show people the messy kind of process or things in progress. And it's very terrifying. But I actually think that not only teaching this skill, right, this, this show me the process skill, regardless of it being scary, but also you know, getting your work out there, I think that's a really valuable and and strengthening tool to teaching creativity and also just living it. It's funny. I, I don't say to myself like, oh, I'm a creative person. It, it is instinctual. You were, you were mentioning that earlier, Cindy. You know, I do think that creativity is something that needs to be accessed and fostered. And I think that's something we can certainly do with young people. I have a couple of things that I always say to my students. And at one point they said, we're going to make t-shirts and just wear them to class. And during critiques, we'll stand up because you keep saying the same things. And for me, that's always keep going. They'll show me something and it's great, or it's almost great, or it's not great at all. Or I just go, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And also do it anyway. I have a lot of students who say to me, well, I'm not good at that. Or this is going to be hard or I'm tired or I don't feel like it. And I go do it anyway. It doesn't matter how, for me as an educator, it doesn't matter how advanced the output is. It doesn't matter how perfect the output is. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. And I know that some educators might be like, well, I don't know, kind of matters depending on what you're teaching. But I think in the arts, as long as you're doing it, that means you're going to get somewhere. If you're not doing the work, then you will never arrive at a place that you want to go. And that's the best way to say that, I think, because we, you know, we can't quantifiably say, well, that's good or bad, right? If you're making, I think that's good. If you're not making, that's bad. So I think those are ways that I foster infectious curiosity, uh, creative inquiry. Even if you think it's a dumb idea, do it anyway, keep going. I want to go back to something that that you said. We we have these procedural steps that we we all kind of are familiar with, whether it's creative problem solving or design thinking, you know, or even just going through the pre-production, production and post-production of a film. Typically, when we are working to design and develop something new, there is a, a sequential procedure of, of, of steps that you conduct. And we can go in and teach those steps. But I think what I'm starting to see with those that perhaps bring more of an artistic perspective is the relationship to the individual and self with that process. And, you know, the the idea of individual students going outside of their classroom environment to find inspiration, to look at the interests and look at their community, to make new discoveries, and then perhaps think about how these experiences that, that you're tasking them with reflecting about and capturing actually inform their relationship with the process and what they're bringing in. Do you see someone who's gone to a coffee shop, interacted with a situation, 
and then seen that situation find itself into the design and development of the project in the narrative workshop? A hundred percent. It doesn't work for everybody. Sometimes they just need more time. I shouldn't say it doesn't work. Sometimes it just takes longer to work. But I absolutely have seen that. Um, We had a student who didn't know what to do for her senior project. And she, uh, all of her artist dates were about her passions, which were um, riding horses and being outside. You know, she connected to that interest and then developed a project that where she modeled a horse photorealistically, uh, anatomically correct. So not only did it serve her passion, but it also served her project and it coalesced, right? Her creativity coalesced with, with her, you know, potential industry career. So that's one example. We have had students in the past who created small businesses based on their artist dates, right? Their artist date passions. We had a student who was really struggling and uh, had been producing this animation and, and the animation was good and he was interested and it was okay, but his passion didn't lie there. And he ended up creating, um, I think he has a small business where he sells uh, really creative out there rugs. And he started doing them as artist dates because he was building these cardboard kind of puppets and sculptures. And he just was playing with found material in his house. This was pre-pandemic, so it wasn't during the pandemic. But I think that that's one of the artist dates I think we we really love is when we say, okay, only you know go to a store, you have a dollar, buy whatever you can and make art out of it, right? It's these lateral thinking prompts. And that's something I do in several of my classes where we do, we do quick, right? We have something called Photoshop Hero, which is uh, based off of the old game Guitar Hero. We do this in our first year Design Lab 1 class. And Photoshop Hero is based on uh, something I used to do when I worked in broadcast design, where we had, I, I used to work in broadcast design for live news. So we'd have slow news days and someone would shout out a prompt and we would take five minutes and go, okay, here, here's the graphic. Here's another graphic. And we just have them ready to go in case it, ha- in case it happened, right? Like we always know there'll be a hurricane somewhere. We always know there will be rain or something like that. So we do these lateral thinking prompts with Photoshop Hero where I have small words or, or sentences and the students respond to them in 20 minutes or less. And it's absolutely terrifying for a first year. Because they go, no, I need a week. I need a week and a half to do a project. I have to do these processes. There has to be thinking. And, and then I need to do a thumbnail. And then I need to do uh, my, my, my fact gathering, my research, my, you know, all of that. But what's really interesting is that these fantastic visuals, these great ideas, and this sense of freedom that comes with not having to plan everything, right? So it's teaching them sort of the seesaw of creativity, which is, yes, you have to plan, but also be open to ideas that might not happen you know, otherwise. So I think with the artist states, we see that it definitely helps the students connect to, it's almost a survival system too. It's like, what if you're working a job after college and uh, you like your job and it's in your skill area, but you're feeling burnt out, right? So it's it's just giving them that, that creative support that they need to keep going and, and keep working on the work that matters to them. We are starting to see, I think at least, a little bit of a trend in high schools and I think even to a certain extent in our program, a recognition that, yes, the industry wants students that can work in collaboration, work in groups, but then there is now more of an, uh, a value in giving students an opportunity to work on their, their self and then also thinking about their individuals. We had um, Liz Reday from Ed Advance come on and talk about a project that she's working on around. It was called Personalized Interest Projects. 
Um, and in some ways, it sounds to me that you're creating an environment very similar to PIP, where you're allowing students to to literally just go out and connect with something that interests them, something that they're curious about, and then bring that back to the learning experience and engage in an artistic design process to produce an outcome associated with that interest. And it it just makes me think about how important it is throughout a student's experience in education every semester having at least one class. I, I think um, I recognize can't do that in all of the environments, but being able to make sure that there's one class where that can happen. And of course, I think that then once again validates why the arts is so important in education throughout. Absolutely. And I think that early on in my career, I had a lot of friends who worked for Google and Google had adapted their program to their, have something called 20% time. And in that 20% time of your job, you worked on a passion project and often those passion projects became something else. And I think, or something that Google supported or something that the, the person took away and, and built into a business or a creative, some sort of creative outcome. And I thought that was really valuable and, and a really almost a tonic to the way that we were working and the way we still are working, which is all the time, right? 24, 24 hours a day, especially in post-pandemic Zoom world. So I think that, yes, it is, it's something I'm setting up in my classes. And, and honestly, I, I think the, you know, I keep going back to Julia Cameron, but I think that it's such a wonderful model, right? The input for output cycle that she mentions, which really allows creativity to keep breathing. If we are not constantly inputting, right, into our creative tank, how are we able to output creativity. So for example, those artist dates, or it could be rest, it could just be going outside. But if we aren't experiencing or present in our world in a personal way, it's very hard for us to have a pool to draw from to to make more creative output. And I think that that's a really important model, whether it's 20% time or setting up personal projects within classrooms, we're, we're very you know, overprogrammed, not just adults, but I think children, um, especially. So, you know, it's very difficult, but how do we allow for, or how do we, I should say, organize what looks like unorganized time? This is such a wonderful conversation because the idea of an education system that, you know, allows for those kind of passion projects. And if you think about Google, I'm assuming that they have probably, you know, pretty specific constraints within the environment, goals that they must meet, budgets that they have to adhere to when they're working on a project. But then when you think about some of the outcomes that have come about with this 20% time, I, I believe Gmail was was one of those outcomes. I think even Google Cardboard and I think either Google Maps or Google Earth was also projects that just came out of an individual working on their own, 20% of their time exploring some type of interest that they had related to the technology or, or, or feature. So when you think about it from that perspective, if we teach children or give them opportunities to have that time, we begin to think about the skills that we're developing and the hope that they can then go and pursue and develop those innovations in their spare time as well. Absolutely. And I think one of the key findings is that we take pressure off of the outcome. For me, I see that in class. I, when, I, when I give them the space to explore, experiment, fail and create, there's less pressure on the deadline. There's less pressure on the outcome. And I, I think that can be adapted, but maybe harder for you know younger students. But 
the kind of growth mindset is more activated when there's kind of no grade involved or there's no deadline involved or no pressure involved. And that works very well, I think, for the college student or the college level um, in creative classes because it allows them breathing room and ideas need to breathe. People need to breathe. Uh, Collaboration is, I think, best when there's space. Um, Now that it can't always happen, obviously, right? There are clients that have certain constraints in some classes, but, you know, as it relates to these passion projects or 20% time, I think there's a balance that can be struck between, you know, project-based learning to industry so that they're prepared for the job market, the job hunt and actually working. And then also these passion projects, which really stimulate uh, growth and creativity and what's next beyond that industry job if they seek that. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for your time today. We wrap up every show with the question, what three tips would you give to educators to help them bring creative thinking into the classroom? I would say practice empathy. Uh, Think about your students, even your younger selves, and think about what you would be excited by. Give yourselves permission to try new things and ask questions. I ask lots of questions. I always think that the people around me will provide more than I ever have or ever need, right? I always try to fill the room with people who know what I don't know. Um, I would also say be open or find a mentor or be a mentor. It's easy to say, it's not easy to do, but there are a lot of people within your community that are there to support and also engage with your students. Some of my favorite memories from the school system I grew up in was when my my teachers and professors brought in artists, musicians, local designers, people from their community who taught me something in a fun way. I don't remember answers to tests. I don't remember questions on tests, but I remember every song a professor or a teacher made up so that I would remember, uh, you know, all of my, my, I remember I before E, I remember all of my vowels, right? I know these are things from when I was little, but these were really creative solutions. And there are times when I spell things now and I go, oh, I remember that teacher and, and what she used to sing to me. I also think that if, you know, I think funding is always a hard issue in education, especially when it comes to bringing creative supplies into the classroom. But there are ways to engage with your community that might help, whether that's, you know, partnering with a a local organization to do a supplies drive or, you know, parents or classrooms and finding materials. I think that we have a lot of materials that are going to waste and there are a lot of educators that could use those. So I think that engaging with the community for creative materials is, is a really important outreaching and, and a building block for your classroom. I also think that one of the key takeaways that I, I would say is that creativity is about exploration and engagement, not tools, not objects and not outcomes. Uh, so if we can think about it like that, experimentation and exploration, I think that we can really grow and apply creativity to any situation in our classrooms. Well, Samantha, there's not many guests I can say this to, but I'll be seeing you next week. And I wish you all the best to the start of the new semester. And for our listeners, that concludes another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. If you like this episode, we ask that you either share it with a friend or colleague at your school or institution or post it on social media and take myself, Cindy, and perhaps Samantha into the post so we can thank you for listening to our show. My name is Dr. Matthew Werwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This episode was produced by Creativity and Education in partnership with WarwoodClassroom.com. 
Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh. 